Welcome to this podcast from Christchurch London. For more information and resources, please go to ChristchurchLondon.org. So we've come a long way so far um, uh, because we've looked at the the task of exegesis and the challenge of hermeneutics, um, but until we actually land it in application, uh, we haven't really finished the job, uh, because the point of reading the Bible is not just to understand things that happened thousands of years ago, but to know how we can live faithful Christian lives today. Um, and so now what we've got to do with the theological principles that we found is work out how they result in application. And whereas a passage may contain just one principle or a handful of principles, actually it could give rise to hundreds of different application points because all of us live in different places, different settings, uh, even within the same city. We find ourselves in very different contexts. And application is important because wisdom in scripture comes not just through knowing or understanding meaning, but then turning that meaning into application. So, for example, Jesus said, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. If you simply go, oh, great, I now understand that text, but then do nothing about it, you've not really kind of brought it home. You've not um, started to live faithfully as a result and put those words into practice. So application is vital. And so if we're going to work out how to take these theological principles that we found that are timeless, that cross cultures, and then put it into practice in our own lives, then we need to work out how to do that responsibly. And here are three suggested ways to do that. Firstly, we need to observe how the principles address the original situation. So go back to the situation, having identified the Um, or go back to the passage having identified the principles and then ask yourself what are the key elements in this passage and what are the specific details about the situation that the passage we're addressing how does the theological principle work in this very specific situation then you need to discover a parallel situation in a contemporary context and a parallel situation should contain all of the key elements from step one otherwise it's not a genuine parallel And the application may therefore be incorrect or misleading. So, for example, if you draw out three points uh, and you think, okay, the original um, scenario contained these three elements, and then you kind of look around for a modern-day scenario and you think, well, this has got two, it's close enough. Actually, that third one may make the world of difference. And unless you've got a genuine parallel situation, you could end up with some application that takes you in some weird directions. Also, you may find... Lots of parallel situations come to mind. That kind of should, because there are loads of different ways of applying particular principles in our age. But then the third step is to work out what the application would be. What would it look like to employ this principle faithfully in our world? And I would encourage you to be specific rather than general, um, and not only to think, what should I do, uh, but how should I do it as well? And um, maybe for you, if you're reading the text for yourself, uh, you are the primary person you have in mind and you're thinking, how can I live this faithfully? For those of us that preach, like one of the challenges for me is to think, what does this look like for the 700 people I'm preaching to in one day? Um, How does this fit with other people's context? And so I'm trying to imagine being in different people's shoes, the student, the worker, the stay-at-home mum, a woman, a man, people of different ethnicities, different ages, all these different things. I'm trying to put myself into their shoes to imagine parallel situations in their world so that I can then show how to apply that principle in a way that is different from my situation but is relevant and empowering for them. So let me give you an example. Next page. 
Philippians 4 verse 13 says this, I can do all things through him who strengthens me, which is a great verse. And it's one that many people love and put on post-it notes and stick on their fridge and um, pray and enjoy. And rightly so. But there are, of course, good ways and bad ways of applying that to our lives. So this is a fairly simple one. But if we were to observe how the principles address that particular situation, we might want to draw out the particular elements that we find in Philippians 4, and in fact in the whole context of Philippians, and we see that this is um, a Christian saying this. So it's not just the case that anyone can do all things through him who strengthens him, a Christian, like Paul is specifically a Christian here. Element two is, he's not just saying this at a random point in his life, Um, it comes in the context of the fact that he is in prison because of his service to Christ. And so I think we could say the element is um, a Christian who is experiencing a variety of challenging circumstances as a result of following Christ faithfully. That seems to be a general summary of the specific situation that Paul is in. But the third element, um, kind of the, I guess the principle, is that Christ will give that Christian strength to endure whatever the circumstances. So if those are the, uh, the principles and the way that it addresses the original situation, now I need to think, well, what's a parallel situation in my world? And it should be one that incorporates all those three elements. You take one of those out and it's not a genuine parallel situation. So here are three suggested scenarios, and I want you to tell me if you think they're good. Scenario one, a Christian boxer looking to God for strength to win his fight. Uh, Perhaps with it written there around the band, (laughs) around his waist, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, which you see all the time, boxers, MMA, fighters, whatever, um, we'll use this verse. Is that a good scenario? No. No. Okay. (laughs) Why not? All right. Okay. So uh, element... (laughs) That's a gentle way of putting it. You're being an idiot punching people for a living. That's the way I would put it. But there we go. Um, so, I mean, element one, they're a Christian. Okay, so that's helpful. Um, and element three, you might say, yeah, well, okay, the principle still applies. But element two is missing, isn't it? Because it's self-imposed. It's not that they are in an equivalent situation of Paul being in prison. They're not experiencing a variety of challenging circumstances as a result of following Christ faithfully. So, yeah, I don't think that is a good application of that verse. So scenario two. A Christian missionary who has felt called overseas, he's struggling to make ends meet, feeling lonely and tired from the hard work of cross-cultural mission. This is beginning to have a negative effect on his own spiritual life. Does that feel like a better parallel? Yeah. 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 So it's got all the elements. It's got, in being a Christian, in experiencing a variety of challenging circumstances as a result of following Christ faithfully, and so the principle, Christ will give the strength Um, to him to endure whatever the circumstances. Scenario three, a Christian single mother whose non-Christian husband left her because of her faith. Consequently, she's facing financial pressures, not to mention social pressures of what people may think, and a personal sense of disappointment and failure. Is that a good scenario? Yeah, it is. Again, all three elements are there. Very different situations, but both genuine parallels. So now we should think, well, how does that verse, I can do all things through him who strengthens me, how does it apply to those different situations? So um, take scenario two, give me some ideas. What, you, what may you say to someone who is in scenario two and you want to encourage them with this verse? What would your advice or application be? There's no one answer to this, like throughout suggestions. Great. And so what might that look like? Prayer. Yeah. Um, encouragement from other believers. Yeah. Yeah. 
So I might say, you may gain encouragement through conversations with others, perhaps others who've been in similar situations. Um, ask them specifically how I, they overcame the challenges. Speak to God in prayer. Be honest. Perhaps use some of the Psalms as your prayers. As you pray, your circumstances may not change, but God will give you the strength to endure. And that would be a legitimate way of taking that and making it specific and practical. Um, scenario three, then, the Christian single mother. What sort of things might you say there? I'll give you a clue, all the above. <laughs> like, all the things we said in scenario two, I think it, it, prayer, um, reading scripture, using the Psalms, uh, all those things, talking to others in similar situations. Anything else? How do you, how do you make it like using this verse because it's the way you use it, mm. not sound the word? Mm. Like, like, yeah. Like, like, so that's, it, uh, yeah, so recognising the pain of the situation is really important because you don't just want to go, that's all right, Christ will strengthen you. Like, we need to put legs on that. We need to make it very practical. So one level of practicality is pray, read scripture, take strength from that. But we can go really practical. And with this one, we could go really practical. We could say, how can the church support your practical needs? I mean, if you're facing financial <laughs> pressures, um, is there some way that the church can support you or individuals within your community can financially support you? I mean, we see that. I think that's legitimate because that's exactly what happens in Philippians as well. We've got this story in which... Oh, actually, yeah, sorry, we would have done an exercise earlier on Philippians, so you would know a bit more of the background, but we skipped that. Um, but, but literally, Paul is in prison, and the Philippian church have sent a financial gift to support him, and part of the reason for writing Philippians is to thank them for the very practical support. And so I think I would be wanting to say, is there anything that we can do as a church that can help you? Can we meet some of your needs? Can we give you childcare? Can it, these sorts of very practical things take what could be a very glib, um, general encouragement and make them way more practical? Um, you might want to give advice for how the woman can pray for their husband. I mean, you don't want to... I'm doing this very quickly. Obviously, I wouldn't just be like, hey, let me give some advice, as if advice is what they want. But you may want to talk through. Um, prayer is going to be really hard. Uh, maybe here are some particular ways you want to pray and um, continue to pray for your husband. But know that you're not alone. The Holy Spirit is with you. God will never leave you or forsake you. You can call on us at any time. These sorts of things are ways that Christ strengthens us. And so you've taken something that is a general principle applied to a very different situation. And I think you've applied that in a fairly responsible way there. Yeah. So obviously that's one very simple example from one vague verse. Um, but does that kind of make sense? Yeah. <sighs> Idle food. Okay. <laughs> Next page. So if you can remember back before lunch, um, if we were to go back to that example there, um, let me remind you basically where we got to. Um, I think if we were to take the, the exegesis that we did and the principles and sort of sum them up into this column one, I think essentially we would say this. We've got a Christian, um, and Paul says that this Christian is forbidden from participating in acts of idolatry and worshipping demons, um, specifically in the passage, eating idol food in the pagan temples as part of a sacrificial ritual. Element three, this Christian's conscience may allow them to practice something that is a matter of indifference, specifically in the passage, eating food that has previously been sacrificed to idols, since the idols are actually nothing. Element four, a Christian should seek the good of others, believer and unbeliever, and not exercise their own freedom if it causes others to stumble, specifically in the passage, eating idol food if it offends someone else's conscience or makes them think you are condoning or taking part in the sacrifice. 
So now, if I have got to this point, and I've got here through exegesis, and I've got here through working out what the theological principles are, then I want to say, well, what are the contemporary situations? How can we apply this in our world? And it may, at this point, raise a whole bunch of other questions, in my mind, which require us to look elsewhere. Because if I'm going to start thinking, well, what are other situations where my conscience may allow me to do something because it's a matter of indifference, then I'm going to need some guiding principles on how to actually determine what is and what isn't a matter of indifference. Otherwise, I can just say, yeah, anything goes, which is clearly not going to be the case in Scripture. So, uh, second tier down uh, towards the right, what are matters of indifference? At this point, I'm going to need to start looking elsewhere in Scripture, drawing on my knowledge from elsewhere, maybe reading, maybe asking others for advice. And what I would find is that, I think, three principles, what the Bible lists as matters of indifference may still be regarded as such. So I think that principle that food, food is nothing, like food is fine, I think that applies fairly generally. Um, and in Romans 14 and 15, for example, it talks about food and drink and observance of days. I think these are things that are, yeah, they're matters of indifference. They're things that shouldn't, you know, if our conscience allows them, uh, uh, us to, to use them, practice them, that's fine. The Bible lists them as such. Second thing to notice, though, is that matters of indifference are cultural, not inherently moral. And when things in Scripture are inherently morally wrong, I don't think that God expects us to just sort of say, well, my conscience allows that. If they're wrong, they're wrong. It's just that these may be cultural representations of something that are not inherently wrong, if you see what I mean. And I think it's worth noting that the sin lists in Scripture um, and the lists of Christian imperatives, so things that Christians mustn't do and things that Christians must do, are moral and not matters of indifference. So if I'm wondering, well, can my conscience let me get away with that? Uh, And then I read Scripture and I find these lists of things where this is classed as wrong, I think, okay, that's wrong and that's you know always wrong because that's the way that scripture presents it but if it's not on that list then maybe it's more open to cultural maybe it's a cultural um enactment of something that is okay yeah it's it's it's, a, it's all right it's okay in that world um, and maybe it's okay in my world so i've got to sort of wrestle with the wider um teaching of scripture in order to understand um what things are timeless and which are culturally bound so for example Lots of Christians will restrict all sorts of things. And you'll have loads of people talk about um, uh, various things as if the Bible is very clear on them. So you'll have Christians that say that a Christian shouldn't drink alcohol, have body piercings, wear particular clothing. Uh, some will say Christians shouldn't dance or smoke or listen to particular kinds of music or have their hair at particular lengths or have tattoos or anything like that. And so we need to work out, well, how do we determine what is biblically... Um, condemned forever and what is open to interpretation um, what is culturally bound and what is timeless and so I think if we were to work through these steps we might start to get towards some answers and we'll come back to those in just a moment but at this point as well our mind may go to a load of other scriptures that are similar so um, I think I mentioned it earlier and I certainly have in conversation with others um, Mark chapter 7 there's this moment where Jesus is um, uh, talking to people about the food laws and of course bear in mind that the Jews had very strict food laws uh, governed by their law and um, Jesus says uh, it's not what goes into a person that makes them unclean it's what comes out of the person that makes them unclean and then Mark says uh, by this Jesus declared all foods clean 
And so you read that and you think, oh, that really backs up Paul's point here. This isn't in contradiction. It really helps. Food is nothing. Like, it doesn't matter. And the same in Romans 14 and 15. So this seems to be this uh, unanimous sense that actually food, it's not what goes into you that makes you unclean. It's what comes out. And so food may actually be a matter of indifference. That said, there's also Acts chapter 15, which poses a bit of a uh, tricky situation. If come, someone can read Acts 15 verses 19 to 21, that would be wonderful. Acts 15, 19 to 21. It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles to return to God. Instead, we should write to them, telling them to abstain from food polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from meat of strange, strangled animals, and from blood. For the Lord Moses has been preached in every city from the earliest times, and is read in the synagogues on every Sabbath. Okay, so we've got this situation in Acts chapter 15, where the early church is trying to work out how Jews and Gentiles relate to one another within the church community. So originally the gospel seemed to be open only to Jews, but then quickly after Pentecost, and actually I'll be preaching on this in a couple of weeks' time, but um, the, the gospel was made clear was available to everyone. Anyone can come and receive the Spirit and be part of the body of Christ. But then that raised questions about whether Gentiles, non-Jews, were meant to keep the same law. And the answer is... Well, no, really, they're not under the law. The law has been dealt with in Jesus. But the context is that they're working out how Gentiles should behave so as not to trouble Jews and also what of the Jewish rituals Gentiles should follow. And um, so they have this council in Acts chapter 15 and they basically decide, um, rightly, that the Gentiles don't have to keep all the requirements of the law. The law is done. It's dealt with. We're in a new covenant. But they are given certain instructions here to do with um, uh, idle food, uh, food with blood, and sexual immorality. Um, and the reason seems to be because of those who read Moses and still believe his laws are important. And so the question is, should they abstain from these things because they are inherently wrong, or are they matters of indifference, um, and the reason they should abstain is because of that stumbling block principle. You don't want to cause someone else who has a different conscience to yours to stumble. And so you've got to kind of work this out. And I think the answer, I mean, I'm going ridiculously quickly here, but really we should go through the four stages and this passage, but we don't have time to do it. I think, essentially, if idol food here is shorthand for participating in idolatrous meals in pagan temples, uh, like the Gentile converts probably were doing until they just heard the gospel and responded then, then, of course, it's forbidden, just as the same as, uh, as Paul forbids it. It is wrong. But it's not wrong because of the food. All food is declared clean, Mark 7 uh, and 1 Corinthians 8. Um, rather, it's wrong because it involves idolatrous worship. Uh, and idolatrous worship is tantamount to worshipping demons. So I think that is why that is forbidden, and I think that's consistent. Uh, let me just finish the thought, Shannon, and I'll come back. Um, so it's not because of the food itself, but because of the false worship. However, I think that eating food with blood here is a matter of indifference because it's not actually necessarily associated with pagan worship. But the reason that they are told to abstain from it here seems to be because of the Jewish people's conscience. 
Because actually, if they are wanting to win others to the gospel, and they are in these cities where there are Jewish people there trying to work out how they do their, uh, their faith and their life, actually, if I then go and do something that they weren't allowed to do, that may cause them conscience problems. So for the good of them, we are to abstain from that. Sexual immorality, you've got to think, well, which is that? Is that something that's always inherently morally wrong or is it something that's open to interpretation but we just don't do it because we don't want to offend others well actually when you look at the whole consistent teaching of scripture it's always listed as wrong so I don't think we can treat that as a matter of indifference so within one little verse one little knotty problem (laughs) um, you've got a, a, a variety of different scenarios a variety of different things And we need to be quite careful about the way that we work out which is which. Otherwise, we can end up just justifying anything we happen to want to do. But I think if you follow those principles, what does the Bible list of matters of indifference? Um, Matters of indifference are cultural but not moral things. And we should follow the the sin list and let them be our guide. Um, I think that's a helpful way of kind of just working out what is a matter of indifference and what isn't. I've done that ridiculously quickly, but um, does that make sense? Shannon, did you have a question on that? So, in this particular context, it's Gentile believers that have come to faith. Mm. So, we, so these could possibly have been things that were part of their practice previous to becoming mm. yeah. Christ followers. It would be a yeah. distinction between like the old life and the new life. Yes, yeah. So it's now as... Um, well, I mean, it almost doesn't matter whether they were doing it before or not. The question is now, as a follower of Jesus, is this appropriate? And, um, yeah, so whether they were doing it or not. But I imagine many of them probably were eating meals in the, in the pagan temples. Yeah. yeah. But can I just say, on that point, because the last sentence there, you talk about also, there's two groups of people who have been solving for you, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, sorry, which verse are you looking at particularly? Uh, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, sorry. So I think what they're saying is, so they've, they've ascertained that Gentiles are welcome to uh, join the faith um, and that they don't have to keep the law. And so I think they're saying um, that we, and the we at this point is a predominantly Jewish but believing in Christ's counsel, um, don't want to make it difficult for those Gentiles who are turning to God. Um, but at the same time, um, so, so in that sense, they're saying we don't want to add extra laws that you don't need. But at the same time, I think the principle there is also that they should also live in such a way as to not be a stumbling block to others. So it's both and, really, um, in the same sort of way that Paul was able to say, I can do all things, but not all things are beneficial, um, and I will give up my rights if it helps others. I think, I think that's what they were saying. So they're saying the Gentiles don't have to do this, but we should also teach them to care about others, and for the good of the, Gen- the Jews, who we also still hope will be won over to Christ. Mm, yeah.
keep the law? Ah, well, that now takes us beyond Acts 15, so I will actually put a pin in that, otherwise we'll never get out of this. But, um, uh, um, no, I think the law is done, dealt with in, in, in Christ. And I refer you to my day on Hebrews, <laughs> and check out that. Um, I, I'm not dismissing the question, it's an important question, but it will take us down a rabbit hole. So, um, so let's come back very quickly to this idle food thing then. So we've observed how the principles address the original situation, um, now we need to discover parallel situations in a contemporary context. So, a few scenarios. Um, a Christian eating halal food, purchased in a shop, served in a restaurant, or served in a home. I know a few of you have asked me about that during the break. Um, or, probably more helpfully, Dan's situation, really. So, um, can you just spell out... Sorry? <laughs> <laughs> what did you say? I missed that. Oh, right. <laughs> um, no, hold off on the alcohol one. Um, um, would you mind actually just um, saying what, what is your particular uh, scenario? Yeah, so there was, we were talking about this during the break, but there are two different things. One is sort of a almost immediately parallel situation where so my grandparents are and extended family. Um, I wouldn't say they're overly religious, mm. but they do follow ancestral worship. My parents are. Mm. Um, where it comes from, so you know, you know what to avoid, what not to. Yeah. And then I guess the extra, that one seemed, it was more sort of, I've always wanted my parents to be taking too literal a reading of text or sure. background is for it, but then maybe going on, I think it might be a risk of, to your point, going to scenarios that are not so applicable in mm. terms of applied principles to it. Sure. But in a very similar vein, my grandfather died on top, mm. and we had to his funeral, and it was very heavily into the ancestral world. Mm. So my dad is the eldest son, mm. so he had to go and lead or be at the front and present for a lot of the ceremony. Yeah. And as part of that, there was a lot of chanting, bowing, etc. Mm. And my dad would refuse to take part. So mm. he would be there as part of the family, mm. but he wouldn't bow. So he was kind of half participating, but not mm. there. But he wouldn't take part in any of the actions. Mm. And it was quite divisive, I think, mm. to the family. And then we, at the end of the last time, Yeah, so when I uh, said, why don't you explain your situation, I was thinking, nice easy one, just the idle food. <laughs> um, so obviously, the, the, well, I will make a couple of comments on the funeral thing, but obviously that's a, uh, that is quite a difficult situation. And you're right, it's probably not exactly a parallel um, to this, but I think there are still a few things we can say about it anyway. Um, so let's, let's take that scenario, um, the, the, the food thing. So, I mean, most of us probably have eaten halal food, whether we know it or not because loads of restaurants serve it. Um, uh, loads of supermarkets serve it and don't mention that the food is halal. Um, so most, many of us have eaten it. Um, now, I actually think that that is 
probably similar to what Paul is talking about um, in uh, 1 Corinthians 10, 23 to 11, 1. So um, I think it's like if you're in the meat market, don't ask. Just just eat it. Everything's the Lord's. Uh, the earth is the Lord's, and that's, that's fine. That's fine. Go for it. If you go to someone's house for dinner and they serve it and they don't tell you, it's fine. Just eat it. That's okay. Because the food doesn't do anything in itself. All food is clean. Don't worry about it. Um, however, I think that if there was a scenario when uh, I went into a restaurant and they said, oh, here's your meal. By the way, just before you eat it, I'd like you to bow down to this idol, <laughs> which obviously clearly is not going to happen in Pizza Express. But like, if, if it did, then it might become a scenario where we have to think, no, I'd probably take a stand against that. Um, in the situation that you're in, I think, so I think what you said was um, uh, you would ask, has this thing been sacrificed? And then if so, uh, choose not to eat it. Um, well, I think Paul would probably say, don't ask. Um, uh, but I think that's, that is kind of what he says, isn't it? Um, um, but if you are told this was sacrificed for this god or this ancestor or whatever happens to be, then I think you're in a different situation and I probably would say, no, I'm not going to eat that. Uh, the reason being, not that I think the f there's anything wrong with the food, um, but because I don't want to give the impression that I'm condoning mixing yeah. our religions together. Um, now, the funeral thing is really difficult, partly because it's not, it's not quite the same, but also as soon as you bring such a painful family scenario into it, like you've got so many different emotions going on and um, that's not the moment where you want to take a stand and go <laughs> let me use this as a platform for declaring the supremacy of Christ and inviting you to an alpha course or something like that so um, it's really difficult but what I would say is that I don't think Paul's I want to please everyone um, means I um, I just let anything go because then what he says is so that all may be saved so his goal is um, being all things to all people so that many may come to faith in Christ. So Paul won't just let things slip um, so to, buy, to keep the peace. He wants all people to be saved. Um, and so I think probably um, I would want to find a way of honouring my family member whilst also making it clear that I can't participate in these particular things um, and I don't know how I would do that, to be honest. I think it would have to be done in a mixture of ways. Um, through conversations with people you can converse with. Um, I don't think I could take part in a ritual where I was doing and saying things that, even if it doesn't make a difference to me, for the good of the consciences of others who are looking on and thinking, oh, Christianity is okay with you mixing these religions. I think that if I were to do something that gave someone else the impression that I thought you could believe in any God and live any particular way, that would fundamentally undermine their ability to come to faith in Christ. Um, and so I think for the good of their eventual faith, um, I would have to take a stand. But I'd want to try and do it in a way that makes them think badly of me, if I can put it like that. Like I'd want to take the hit for that. Um, I wouldn't want to be like, let me take a stand and tell you why this man was wrong and, um, and now let me comment on his life and that sort of thing. I'd want to be like, I know you're not going to like this stand that I'm taking, uh, but I am doing it for these reasons. And I'd always want people to think badly of me. If, they, if you see what I mean, no, I'd want to take the bullet for that one. Yeah. 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 
Yeah. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah. It felt a bit Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Not by food, but you know, Yeah. Yeah. Well, if um I guess there will be a way of taking a stand that really hammers home the point that I think this guy is not in heaven right now. And I don't want that to be the message. I mean, people may implicitly do that, but if, if people... I'd want to I'd take a stand in a way that still honours people, um, honours their grieving process, um, but says, look, I am different. And we can talk about that, and you can come and talk about it. And so, no, some people won't, and some people just think that's really disrespectful and never talk to you again, but... Um, I don't know. I'd want to. I'd want to. Shape of the dust and move on in, sort of thing. Kinda, yeah. But I'd. I just. I just think it's such a sensitive moment that I wouldn't want to be like. I'm going to take this moment and use it as a soapbox moment, if you know what I mean. But what what I'm really encouraged by this is that at the beginning, when we read this passage from chapter eight, I was like, how many of you like think this is a living like practice, and none of you. Then, like, it wasn't immediately obvious how this was relevant to anyone, and yet it is very relevant to you and to your family and probably many others as well. And, um, and we live in the same city and we go to the same church and we interact in the same sort of friendship groups, and yet the river is quite small for you and huge for me. Um, and these are not easy things to work out, but they are the kind of things that are really important to get right, aren't they? So, um, yeah, go for it. Mm. Mm. Yeah. So it's similar, but not quite like the stuff that was prayed over Yeah, good question. So I think um, I would say, uh, so the four scenarios that Paul spells out, um, I think I'd say that, I'd say there's, there's not a lot of difference. So if it's been sacrificed to a God or prayed over to a God, it's an act of worship, isn't it? And so the question is, um, of which of the four scenarios am I being served that food in? So if I bought it in a market, and I don't know if the guy's just been, by the way, let me just pray over that. <laughs> I, I don't know. So I don't ask, and I assume the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, and um, Jesus declared all food is clean, I'll eat it, and um, that'll be fine. Um, if I'm at someone's house for dinner, and they serve it to me, and I haven't been told, that's totally fine. If I am somehow being made complicit in that worship, in that prayer, if I know about it, uh, if someone has said, um, by the way, we prayed over this in the name of a God um, who you don't believe in, is that okay with you? I would have to, at that point, say, I don't, that isn't okay, because if I were to eat this, it would seem like I am entering into that worship, and I don't want really to give that impression. Um, do you see what I mean? Or, or a scenario, the, the, the other scenario would be, um, hey, we're about to pray uh, over this meat as we, uh, as we prepare it. Will you join us in worshipping and singing a song to the God of whatever? And that, for me, I think Paul's clearly like, no, 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 that's, you can't partake in that and in Christianity. So. It's like when Christians sit down to dinner and you pray over food. So mm. if it were a Hindu family, I was just thinking, mm. I'd be like, oh. Sure. <laughs> I'd be like, pray over your own food. <laughs> um, if you protect it like that. <laughs> um, yeah, that's difficult. I'd... 
Sure. Yeah, yeah. That's really hard, isn't it? I mean, I think so much of it would depend on your relationship with the person and whether you can lead to a conversation. And if you can explain to them, um, you know, if they're saying, hey, do you, do you mind if we just... You know, if someone's coming around for dinner with us and we're going to say grace, then I would probably say, hey, do you mind if we just say grace? And if someone said, oh, I'd rather you didn't, I'd be like, oh, that's fine. Okay, we won't. And I would hope that other people would as well. So it may well be that we could have a conversation in which I can clarify the conscience issue because I can say, actually, for me, this would be a problem because I believe in a different God. And let's talk about that um, over our unblessed food. And, you know, so, uh, so much of it depends on um, relationship and conversation. Um, what's really important, though, is that we don't judge others but we keep humble and we keep wanting the best from one another um, and we don't look down on other people who act differently to us and go well they're weaker brothers and they're Ill they just don't know and they're not as enlightened as me and that sort of thing because we're meant to be loving one another serving one another and working this out in conversation I think but this, this just shows, doesn't it? That, like, I mean, on the diagram, it's not straight over the bridge and then one avenue. It's like lots of different avenues because there are lots of different scenarios and it is difficult to work out. Um, let's, uh, oh, yeah, we're never going to get to this exercise, are we? Um, <laughs> let's do these other scenarios because I think this may help us move on um, and let Dan know whether he is allowed to go and have a drink after this. So um, scenario two, a Christian drinking alcohol. Um, so many Christians would say a Christian should not drink alcohol, um, and then you go, but hang on, in the Bible, <laughs> Jesus drank wine. And they say, oh yes, but wine was different then, it was just grape juice, it wasn't fermented. And you think, really, really? Um, I don't think that is the case, um, uh, because uh, it says, do not get drunk on wine, and you know, all these sorts of things. So, so you've got to do some work on exegesis, what exactly is being talked about there. Um, but many Christians will have differing views on this. What do we... Do do we think that is a good parallel scenario? Is drinking alcohol a matter of indifference, or is it somehow inherently wrong? Sorry, matter of indifference. Yeah, what do we think? Do people generally agree with that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. So okay. Great. So. You read scripture, and there's nothing in scripture that makes me think that it is permanently a principle that crosses every cultural boundary every time that alcohol is wrong. Like, no questions. But there's all sorts of teaching about drunkenness, isn't there? So um, I think it's fine to say um, that this is a matter of indifference, um, that we can, if our conscience allows us, go for it, because what goes into you doesn't make you unclean, what comes out of you does. Jesus declared all foods to be, un uh, to be clean, uh, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. So I think that's fine. However, there is then teaching about drunkenness. So we can say on the one hand that drinking alcohol is not morally wrong in and of itself, but there are scenarios in which the way you do it or the extent to which you do it cause other problems. So, yeah. And I think actually prohibiting people just straight out and saying, no, you shouldn't do this, is, I, I think that's unhelpful and that undermines some of the freedom that comes with the gospel. However, of course, if I were drinking with someone, or if I were eating with someone um, for whom this is a problem either because they're a recovering alcoholic, like clearly I'm not going to want <laughs> to put them in a difficult situation, but also if I had a friend around um, and I think this is a big 
stumbling block for them and they're not sure what they think and they're trying to work it out i'm not going to rub it in the face look hey i'm free to drink wine and you could be too if you follow me like because i'm going to put them in a quandary where it's just going to be unhelpful for them so if actually my um expression of my freedom causes them a problem then and i go ahead and do it anyway and that shows i'm not motivated by love but by something else and what i should do is for the good of my weaker brother to use that term the Corinthians use is I should abstain because there's something more important than me having a drink and that's love see what I mean and there may be a whole load of other things in there that sort of category as well but yeah in some situations you clearly know whether it's a problem for the other person but in the situations where you don't yeah well I think um, I wouldn't well, I think in the situations where you know, you should work out how to work accordingly. If you don't know, then um, it's kind of hard to know what you would do. Um, like, I wouldn't... I don't think I would think, for most of my friends, to ask them, uh, hey, do you have a problem with having wine before I serve them? Like, because I'd sort of just assume that they wouldn't. But if there was some reason why I did come to know it, um, or if they said to me, oh, I, I don't drink, um, and I get a sense that in that they're not just saying, I don't, hmm, I'm trying to imagine how it would ever come about um, without me already pre-knowing. Um, if I were having dinner with someone and they're around my house, um, or if I said, okay, this is, a, actually, this is a better scenario. Um, if I were to say, hey, after this, let's all go down the pub and we'll have a drink before we go off home. And then some of you were a bit like, oh, I don't know, because culturally, I'm not sure that Christians should do that, or I don't like pop culture, or something like that. Then I'd think, oh, okay, I didn't know that before, but now I do. Um, I will suggest something else. Let's go to Pret instead. <laughs> and, um, Pret's getting a lot of business out of us today. Um, I can't be held responsible for things I don't know. Um, and I can't assume or ask questions over everything. Do you, do you mind if I have my tattoo uncovered? Or do you, you know, I, I can't imagine. But as soon as I become aware of something, I think I could um, do something about it. And, and, and also, I know that for some people from different cultures, um, drinking would be an issue. So, a little example. I used to run the comms at Christchurch, London. And um, whenever we did... Because we often our services, we go out for drinks afterwards, or that's available at least. Um, and one of the, our designer at the time uh, designed a picture of going out for drinks, and it was like a picture of a pint on the screen. And I said, let's not do that, because there may be some people in the room who see that and make a judgment on us. And actually, we have had some people who have left the church or have said, um, I won't come to your events because you serve alcohol at them. Now, for them, that's an issue um, that was prompted perhaps unnecessarily by a visual depiction of something. So I think we can somehow just stop putting a stumbling block in people's way, uh, in a sensitive way. I don't know. I mean, it might be 700 people see that and never, it's not a problem for them, or it maybe it speaks to one person. I don't know. Um, Adnan, do you have a... Comment, or are you just stretching? I was just going to kind of follow in on from that point. One of the challenges that I find mm. uh, personally is, is um, when you're around, let's say, people who aren't necessarily believers or Christians um, who have a culture of drinking excessively or mm. you know, drinking more than what you would usually drink, then I tend to be okay with having mm. a drink. But 
there, is there a certain point, as you mentioned before, mm. uh, in terms of condoning behaviour, mm. as in choosing not to participate mm. simply as a kind of, I don't know, as a stand against the, mm. the kind of attitude towards alcohol or drink amongst, amongst the people you are with? So you're saying, so if we were out with a group of people and and some people had a tendency to overindulge, yeah. would I take a stand and not drink at all, for example, you said, yeah. <clears throat> well, I think there I would say the issue is less to do with alcohol, which I think is a matter of indifference, and more to do an issue with drunkenness, which I think is a, a, an issue with some clear biblical principles. So I think if I were to take a stand which is to say I will have no alcohol, then that might actually send the wrong message, which is that I think more strongly on this than I think this is actually a dividing issue for whether a Christian can or can't do this. Um, I might set my limit at a different place. So, for example, if I'm out with my friends, I don't really think about this, but say I thought that three pints was my general limit, um, and I'm out with people who I think are, have a tendency to go way further, and then I might just say, okay, for the good of me taking a stand here, I'm going to set my limit at a different sta stage because I want to portray something through my withholding. Um, it's a question for maybe it's a different question. I was thinking about to say, mm. then are you guilty by association and such by condoning such behaviour if you stay around? You know, you may stop drinking, but everyone else is getting Is that kind of an on Yeah. Like, yeah, everyone else is getting really, mm. really mm. Well, I think um, what I'd probably say in that is it depends so much on the, the friendship group, doesn't it? So um, I would like to think that if, presuming some... Are you imagining these people are Christians in this scenario? Yeah, sure. So if, um, if I'm out with friends and this is something that's, that's going on, I would like to think that I would have the relationship to say, either then or at another time, um, uh, hey, how are you doing in this area of your life? Like, have you ever thought about what the Bible says about this? Is there an, and not in a condemning way, but hey, is, is there a problem we could talk about? Is there a way I could help support you in this? Um, and I'd like to think that we would have that sort of space for conversations. I don't know what taking a stand would look like in, a, in the moment in a way that would actually help people rather than just make people think I was a bit odd. Um, I don't know. I'm not sure I'm not really ask, answering the question very well either. But, um, but these are, again, isn't it great that we've just taken something that seemed like a completely abstract passage and now we're wrestling through it. And what we're all wanting to do is think about the principles. So let's keep the principles at mind here. There's something more important than knowledge and the freedom that comes with knowledge, and that is love. Uh, we want to save as many as possible. That's what Paul says is his aim. Um, and uh, we want to build one another up and we want to not cause our weaker brother to stumble and so if we're keeping those principles in mind actually the way I apply it to someone I have great relationship with may differ from the way I apply it with someone I've only met for the first time um, because of the level of relationship and the more the um, level to which I can engage in conversation with them you see what I mean it's so easy isn't it to approach the bible and just think it's really black and white um, whereas actually I think it it opens up so much more grey space. And I think some people hear that and get panicky because they think, oh, you're saying anything could go. No, because we've looked at some clear principles today, but within those clear principles, there are loads of different ways that we can work this out. And there's really the importance of doing it in community and being able to say, um, 
are my actions genuinely rooted in my desire to understand scripture in the sense of putting scripture up here or am I somehow playing hermeneutical games so that I can really stand over scripture and just sort of twist scriptures in order to do what I want to do and the only way to really kind of keep growing in genuine humility is through prayer through genuine relationship with God through community through engaging these conversations with others who maybe don't share our viewpoint and to make sure that we're a understanding what the Bible genuinely says and then b making sure we're being responsible in the way we apply it to our world knowing that actually two years time I get called to go and church plant in a different part of the world um, suddenly these things that I've applied to my life may need to get applied in a different way so um, it's about constant life of humility I think isn't it and learning. We're not even going to attempt the, uh, <laughs> the exercise uh, in 10 minutes, but um, I think this is quite a helpful discussion in a sense that it's, even though it's causing me some headaches trying to answer your questions, um, I think it is illustrating the challenge of reading the Bible and the practical difference it makes to our lives um, and the need for prayer and the need for community. And we're not to read the Bible in isolation because I know if I just read the Bible by myself, I'm going to come to conclusions that make me feel like I'm justified in living the life I want to live. But when I read it with others and I have to think and care about others, I'm going to read hopefully in such a way that wants to bring out the best in others, wants others to be saved and builds us up in love. Mm -hmm. So prayer, spirit, community, so important alongside these sort of more academic principles that we've looked at today. Do we, does anyone have any questions on anything <laughs> hopefully relevant <laughs> um, to this and I may not be able to answer them but uh, let's, let's uh, take a few of them so just going back to what you said you mm. recommended two books earlier mm. um, that's great. I can answer that question here. In fact, it's on the final page. Um, so on the final page of the notes, uh, I've given you... So let me just tell you what we're not doing. Um, so the pages that follow this, uh, I had three group exercises, which basically all followed a similar pattern in Mark chapter 10. So um, some overlapping verses there in Mark 10. Um, and I was going to get you to go through the four stages um, and I've given some little hint questions. You may want to do this um, by yourself at home sometime or in a group or whatever um, and try and apply these. These are relatively straightforward exercises, but hopefully um, they may challenge you a little bit as well. And then after that, you've got the interpretive journey summarised in one page, um, which makes you wonder if you can summarise it in one page, why have I taken most of a day to teach through it? But there you go. And then the final page is... Um, some recommended resources. So the two books, the general sort of workbooks um, that I would recommend are How to Read the Bible for All It's Worth by Gordon Fee and Douglas Stewart. Um, and then there are some spin-off books in that as well. So make sure you get the right one because they've all got annoyingly similar titles. Um, but, and then the other one is called Grasping God's Word, which is a bit more of a, a school book type feel. And there is a workbook that goes alongside it that you don't really need because the exercises are in the main book. Um, both of those are really great. And then some, some comments on commentaries. So choosing commentaries can be tricky, um, but bestcommentaries.com is a great place to look for reviews and recommendations. Um, and I've given a list of a few commentary series that I find helpful that are of sort of different levels of heat. <laughs> you know, they're like three chilies hot. That's, that's how I tend to like to think about commentaries. Um, there are some that are three chilies hot. They're full of Hebrew and Greek and some that are way more accessible. And as I say, do ask me and I'm happy to give recommendations at any point um, if, a, if that would help. But there are some recommended resources to get you going. Um, 
any uh, any one chilly hot questions. <laughs> Go for it. Yeah, go for it. As you qualify the question, I'm going to go and grab some water, but I'm still listening. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so I think, yeah, and I think there are extremes, aren't there? There's, um, there's come to the church where the expert is going to tell you for 30 minutes what you should believe and then you just don't question it. Um, and there's the kind of uh, uh, just everyone go for it by yourself and see how you get on. And those are the extremes. And I think clearly I don't want to do either of those, but there are good and bad in each of them. And um, so I think actually I do think um, I have quite a, in the New Testament, where it talk, Ephesians 4, for example, it says that Jesus ascended on high and gave gifts. And those gifts are not the ability to read the Bible. It's the gift of a teacher. And um, so I'm God's gift to you, is <laughs> what I'm saying. Uh, obviously, clearly joking, but although I tell my wife that all the time and <laughs> justify it from that verse, but she doesn't like that. Um, uh, but I, I, I do think that people are gifts. And I do think that the, um, the teaching of the New Testament uh, says that those who teach should really, like, be very careful about it and do it right because you're representing God. So um, I do think that not only should teachers teach um, in the sense of say, I think this is the accurate way to read the Bible, but I think also teachers should teach others how to read the Bible for themselves. So in Ephesians 4, where it says you've got apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers are probably one rather than two. Um, it says that those people are given not to do all the work, but to equip the saints for ministry. So I think one of my roles as a teacher is not just to stand up as an expert and say well just listen to this and do what I tell you um, but to try and have days where, like this where I say this is how I do it and this is how I think you can do it as well so imparting the principle so this day obviously is there have only been a selection of us and not the whole church uh, or even different churches that are represented here so on a Sunday it's slightly different isn't it because we don't get to go in depth like this people don't ask questions we don't have dialogue we don't disagree all this well we probably disagree but not silently um uh but whenever i'm preaching i'm also wanting to show people not only how i've got to this conclusion and sorry not the conclusion that i've got to but how i got to it as well so hopefully i'm setting out principles as well so that people can go away and do it for themselves so that's part of it um and i do think that there is a protective element as well. I do want to protect people that I'm teaching from other voices that I, th I think, personally, and I may be wrong, of course, are wrong or unhelpful or going to lead us in different directions. So I think recommending resources is helpful because if I can say... Um, this teacher has a good track record and I, I think that he has done the good homework of exegesis and hermeneutics, I commend his books to you. Um, go away and... Or hit her books, of course. Um, then go away and read these and use these. I think that's a way we can resource people to do it in their own sort of um, study time. Um, I think that 
being able to have a context like connect groups where we talk together um, is brilliant. Um, and I think we could probably do a better job of actually giving people material to work through, not in the sense that we say, follow all these points rigidly, uh, but discussion starters or some guidelines or something like that. I think we could do a better job of resourcing people like that. But I think it also is about individuals then in whatever way. And, you know, me having a personal quiet time is not going to look like working through this um, every time. But I, I do think that if I only rely on what I'm taught and what I do in my connect group, I'm not going to be feeding myself personally. So I think I would want to be encouraging everyone in the church to find ways of personally feeding themselves. And if I can resource that, that's great. Um, but also I trust that God will give other people skills and insights that I don't have as well. So I'm, I'd rather people had a go <laughs> um, without feeling like they've got all the tools because I trust the power of the word of God um, more than I trust the power of my tools. <laughs> um, and I think someone just reading this thing and prayerfully asking God, help me, is probably going to get them quite a long way. Um, and I'd rather people tried that rather than think I have to go through these hours of seminars before I'm allowed, if you see what I mean. Um, it's like, you know, when Phoebe in Friends teaches guitar and she's like, she teaches them all the, the positions, but they're not allowed to touch the guitar. And, <laughs> and I think that's ridiculous. Like, I think I'd rather say, come on, let's, let's get going with the guitar a little bit and let's learn as we go. And here are some positions that may help you. And let's do the two in tandem rather than think, learn all the theory and then I let you loose on this. Um, so we should probably end because um, it's time um, can I just pray yeah. <laughs> you're welcome to <laughs> leave or do whatever you want no, no problem um, let's pray and then we can keep talking um, let's just thank God for this time together Lord Jesus I thank you for your word I thank you that you are the word and I thank you that this word is really all about you you are the goal of it all uh, you're the telos, you're the aim, you're the purpose of it all all of scripture points to you. And I thank you that we have uh, found relationship with you, or that you've come and found us and drawn us into relationship with you. And I want to pray that you would take these principles that we've looked at today, some of which have been easy, some of which have maybe been quite hard, and um, I want to take these real-world situations that we've raised as well and talked about, um, and I pray that you would help us to apply your word to those situations. I pray that you'd help us to have humility and to grow in knowledge and to grow in love, and that we would genuinely understand, um, as in stand under your scripture, and in areas where we tend to overstand and trust in our own authority rather than the authority of your word, I pray that you grant us humility, give us revelation, and help us to submit to your word. And I pray that it would bring about your flourishing in our lives. I pray that we would increasingly know how to uh, read your word and enjoy it and feel like it is a light to our path and a lamp. Uh, before our feet and I pray that it would change us from the inside out I pray that you'd help us to know how to live as faithful followers of you in whatever context we find ourselves and I pray as we go home tonight with lots in our mind and lots of maybe new thoughts uh, or maybe feeling even a bit overwhelmed I pray that we would not feel uh, man scripture is just so out of my grasp rather I pray that we would just know the God of heaven has decided to step into our world and make himself accessible through a person Jesus Christ and through the book he inspired and I pray that we would find joy whenever we open these pages and that Holy Spirit, you would speak to us through them in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well done. You survived. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming and I hope you have a great rest of your day. Thank you for listening. For more information or for further podcasts and downloads, please visit 
ChristChurchLondon.org.